I don't know why people think worship is boring. It's not boring at all. Worshiping God is amazing. And Ryan must have some kind of special touch with the Lord because he said God's mercy falling down. And then did you hear the thunder rumble right there? It's just, that was cool. Good timing. That's the way to go. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, on your phone or on your iPad or in hard copy, uh, would you turn to Habakkuk again? Uh, we're going to be there one more week this week and next week. Uh, so this week and one more week after that as we kind of finish up. Uh, we're in the middle of right now trusting God for a vision. So uh, we have talked about how we can uh, trust God uh, for a vision for ourselves personally and for the church. We're talking about both those things, how we are able to trust God for our vision uh, in our individual lives, but also corporately as Holly Springs Baptist, uh, we can trust God for a vision here. And we've talked about waiting for that vision, as was uh, told to us in Habakkuk 2. And then we talked about uh, how as we wait for God for that vision, we have to have faith, uh, that there, there is no vision without faith. And this morning, we're going to talk about misplaced faith, how you can misplace your faith in the wrong things. And so... Uh, many of us will find ourselves there. In fact, all of us at one time or another have found ourselves uh, misplacing our faith. So we're in Habakkuk, the second chapter. Uh, if you'll turn there and let me share with you just a few things. Let me give you a little background. Habakkuk uh, is the prophet, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And he uh, has turned to God because he's kind of frustrated uh, with the way things are going in his life and, and with the surrounding communities uh, Babylon and Judah, he's uh, upset with the way things are being handled. He sees that people are, are doing well that don't necessarily have a relationship with the Lord, and that's frustrating him. And, and so in chapter 1, you'll find Habakkuk and God going back and forth, and God answers Habakkuk. Habakkuk prays to God and says, not happy with this, the way things are going. And God says, well, let me answer that. And the way God answers it was he takes a Babylonian people who Habakkuk is not thrilled with and not happy that they're the ones that God has chosen to kind of do some destruction on the people of Judah. And so uh, Habakkuk's not happy with that, and he, he lets God know of his displeasure in a second prayer. So the, the way the prayers go is, is uh, uh, Habakkuk prays to God, God answers, and Habakkuk prays to God again saying, I'm not happy with the way you answered. And uh, it starts off with chapter 2 with uh, Habakkuk saying, I'm going to go into my tower and I'm going to wait. And we talked about how we are told to wait on the Lord, that sometimes our answers don't come the way we want them to come. And then uh, Habakkuk talks to God and God says, Habakkuk, let me talk to you and explain to you that uh, some people don't have faith. And because they don't have faith, I have to use different ways and different means to punish them or to let them know what's going on in the world and how I can discern what's best. And he's basically telling Habakkuk, uh, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to lay down the law and you need to listen to me. And then uh, God moves into a situation with Habakkuk where he's going to explain to Habakkuk how he is going to use the Babylonian people and how the Babylonian people are going to come into judgment. And he does that by explaining to Habakkuk uh, where the Babylonian people have misplaced their faith, where they have put their faith in all the wrong things, and uh, God outlines those for Habakkuk. Uh, <clears throat> a, a year ago, Christmas, not this past, most recent Christmas, 
but a year before, uh, I, uh, right around Christmas time, or uh, probably a couple of months before Christmas time, I had found something on the internet that is, is what I would call a tracking device, but it's a, it, it was just a little wafer, and you could take that little wafer and you could place it on a phone or on your keychain or something like that, and you could use, if the wafer was on your keychain, you could use your phone to, to find your misplaced keys. And when you begin to know Laura as well as I know Laura, you will discover that she misplaces some things sometimes. They're never lost, they're just misplaced and can't figure out what I've done with them. And so one of them is her keys, the other ones are her glasses, and I don't know, it's like a magic trick. Her purse is only that big, but she can dig and dig and dig through it and not find it. Like the other day, she could not find her phone. She was frantic. She said, I cannot find my phone. And she was digging and digging and digging through her purse. And she said, I've looked all through my purse and I cannot find it. And I said, let me see your purse. And I grabbed it and I reached down and I went, is this your phone? like that and she said how did you find it and I said well it's a magic trick I just can do those kinds of things but it's it's not that but I had bought this wafer for her so she could always find her keys in her phone the problem I found out with that wafer is that if you've lost both your keys and your phone you can't find anything and so it does you absolutely no good uh, but she was kind of enamored with it and she thought it was really cool and so for all our family you know when we got together for our big family celebration with all our kids and extended family, we bought all of them one of those wafers. Uh, and they loved it. They all thought it was great. But the whole principle, the whole idea behind that is because we're misplacing things. There's times in our life where we're going to take items that we have, items that we need all the time, like our keys or our glasses or our phone or something like that, and we're going to misplace it. It's a big difference between misplacing your keys and misplacing your faith. You get that. I mean, you can find your keys, and even if you can't find your keys, somebody can make a new key for you. But misplacing your faith is a horrible thing. It's a terrible thing for us to find ourselves in. And all of us, at one time or another in our life, are going to find our faith misplaced. It's fascinating here in, in Habakkuk, in the second chapter, because the way that God... Uh, explains how the Babylonians are misplacing their faith is he starts it off with that famous phrase that Jesus used uh, more than anybody did. And it's that word woe. Woe unto you. And Jesus would say it a lot of times. He would say, woe unto you sinners. And he would begin to say what was getting ready to happen. And that word woe, <laughs> I had a seminary professor do that, do this, and and you'll appreciate it. Uh, it it's, it's pretty East Texas uh, thinking of how do you explain the word woe. And the seminary professor said, Let's, it works great for cowboys because woe is the same thing that you would say to a horse when you're trying to get him to stop. And it's, it's, this, it's the same principle. I can give you the big fancy Hebrew word, which is not a big word, but it's, it's a fancy word. It always makes everybody real impressed that I know a Hebrew word, but if you Google it, you can find it too. Uh, the word is Howie, H-O-W-Y. And, and that's the Hebrew word, and it means you need to back up and stop doing this. It, it, it really means you, you need to put the reins on and grab hold of the horse 
and stop. And it also has the connotation that, that some things are going to happen if you don't stop doing those things. Uh, woe is that stop doing, it's that, uh, it's that admonition from the Lord, stop doing this. But it's also that understanding that if you don't stop doing this, something's going to change in your life. Um, I don't think I've shared this story with you, but when I was in college, uh, when I was a freshman in college, uh, I was attending, I think I shared with you once that I attended Southwest Texas for a semester. It's Texas State now. I did, attended there for a semester and did pretty well. Uh, but I, I looked at, I went to visit some friends at A&M. And when I went to visit friends at A&M, I fell in love with A&M. And so I started going there the middle year, uh, the middle uh, year of my freshman year. So I started in January attending A&M. And when I attended A&M, uh, the, one of the first Sundays I was there, I, I went with one of my good friends to her church to visit the church and to be a part of the worship service. And after the church was over, there was a really great family that was there that would take college students back to their home and feed them lunch. And they did that with several of us. There was about 10 or 15 of us that went back to this family's house to eat lunch. And as we were eating lunch, uh, they had a, a, a nice house with some uh, land in the back acreage and they had a horse back on the acreage and they asked the college students if anybody wanted to ride the horse and so everybody said yeah we would love to ride the horse and so everybody had ridden the horse except me and they came to me and they said do you want to ride the horse and I said you know I think that would be fun I, I grew up in the city I did not ride horses on a regular basis I'd only ridden one once or twice pretty much in those pony deals, you know, where you get on the horse and it follows the horse in front of you and you pretend like you're a cowboy when you're not really a cowboy at all. And so I thought, well, this would be fun. This is the first horse that I'll be able to get on and just ride and I can ride to the wind, do whatever I want to do with the horse. Yeah, you can kind of see where this is going real fast. But anyhow, so I jumped on the horse, had a saddle and everything. But if you're much of a cowboy, you know what a bit in a horse's mouth is. This horse did not have a bit in its mouth. It only had the, uh, the reins on it. And so I jumped on that horse and we had taken maybe about 10 steps. And I heard the owner of the horse say, I'm gonna put some feed out for the horse. And then as soon as you get finished riding, uh, it, it can be fed. And so I literally, the horse had just turned around and we had taken about five or 10 or 15 steps. And I heard grain hitting the metal bucket that the horse eats out of. But unbelievable, uh, well, you would believe this, the horse heard the grain hitting the metal bucket too. And immediately the horse bolted for a shed that the grain was being poured in a bucket underneath this corrugated metal shed. And it was about 75 yards away. And that horse was dead set determined that it was going to make it to that shed and start eating, not knowing or not thinking that I'm on the back and who cares about who's on the back. And so we started riding toward that shed and I started saying, whoa, 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 what am I gonna do? And I got about halfway off of that horse when it ran under the corrugated steel shed that was just big enough for the horse to fit under, but not big enough for me to fit under. And someday when I'm brave enough and you happen to see me without a shirt on, which I hope is never, uh, 
that you will see on my left side here where a corrugated steel shed came into my side and cut me all the way to my ribs. And I, I had about 130 stitches put in to my side in the emergency room. I have fun with, if you ever have your kids here with me and you, you see me without my shirt, bring them up and let them see the scar and they'll usually say, what happened? And I usually say, well, I was a Siamese twin. I was connected at birth and <laughs> they had to come. But that's a different time. I'm telling you that, I wanted you to hear that story because I wish I could have woed that horse. I wish I could have made that horse stop. And because I didn't, I suffered the consequences of that horse not stopping. It still affects me to this day when certain things happen. Uh, there are certain times when I feel that side. And you can see, I'm... I'm <laughs> It's, it's not much, but I'm deformed a little bit on this side because of that cut and because of those stitches. Um, it's never going to change. It's always there, and it's a reminder to me of what happened to me when I was a freshman in college. Well, that's where the Lord comes to in Habakkuk, too. When God is talking to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is frustrated, and God says, listen to me, let me tell you about the Babylonian people. And it really applies, and, and the Lord says this, it applies to the people of Judah too. He says, if you misplace your faith in things, you're going to find yourself miserable in life. And let me read to you, now you, you'll just have to be patient with me, but let me read to you what happens here. So we're going to start with verse 5. It says, indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as a grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes people captive, all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying, woe, okay, here's the first woe. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long? must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim because you have plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you for you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Okay, the first woe, if you're taking notes, is selfish ambition. The Lord tells Habakkuk, if you're going to misplace your faith, sometimes you're going to misplace your, your faith in selfish ambition. Now listen to me. This is important for you to hear. Almost everything that the Lord says woe to is not inherently bad. For instance, ambition is not inherent, inherently wrong. In fact, I hope that you find me to be an ambitious pastor. In the New Testament, you'll find that the Lord said uh, that uh, several of the writers in the New Testament, Paul and Timothy, other writers, will talk about uh, ambitiously serving the Lord, ambitiously striving to become more like the Lord. So ambition is not wrong in a, of itself. It's how you turn that ambition. And right here, what Habakkuk is finding out is that God's saying, woe to those people who selfishly are seeking out to do things. Um, it's, it's important for you to hear me say this. As we go down this list, names are going to pop up into your mind. Uh, like when I say selfish ambition, immediately in my mind, after living 60 years, I think about 
this person and that person and that person who I kind of witness in my life seem to be striving selfishly to make things better for themselves. I, I don't think that that's necessarily the wrong thing for you to do, but please hear me say this. Most of the time when we talk about sin, we want to think about everybody else who's in the middle of sin. But I want to encourage you this morning to take the mirror, put it up in front of your own face and say, okay, God, is this my life that Bobby's describing? Is this my life that through the power of the Holy Spirit that the scriptures are coming forth and saying, you need to rethink things here? Because all of us, all of us, every single one of us can get caught up in these five woes. The first one being selfish ambition. And so my question to you this morning, is the things that you strive for to make yourself look better in front of people? Or are the things that you're striving for because you want to be a, a holy person standing in front of a holy God? Do you want to be a better person, a righteous person? Remember the scripture that we mentioned last week? The righteous will live by faith. Is your ambition so that you will become more righteous, so that people will see your faith? So you see, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you having a great uh, job. Uh, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with you striving to be better at your work, striving to move up to, to a new position at your job, striving to make your marriage better. Uh, striving to make your family circumstances better. There's nothing, absolutely nothing in Scripture that prohibits that. But what is prohibited in Scripture is if you take any of those things and you say, I want to do those for selfish gain, so I can have more money, so I can have more things, so I can uh, be over more people. Uh, if that is your gain and your ultimate goal, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. And that's what God is saying to Habakkuk. He's saying, here, let me point out some things to you, Habakkuk. You are frustrated with me because I'm using the Babylonian people, and I get that. But I want you to understand that the Babylonian people are about to suffer some consequences because these are the things that they're chasing after. And one of them is this, woe to these people who are seeking selfish ambition. Let me continue to read here. In, in verse 8, uh, well, skip down to verse 9. Second woe. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruins of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. So what's the second woe? Well, the second woe here is the love of power and money. What, what you have God telling Habakkuk is that the Babylonian people are only interested in really uh, selfish ambition, uh, power and money, and the other woes that we'll list. That's what uh, God keeps telling Habakkuk. Listen, if, if this is the way these people are going to practice, they're going to suffer uh, things at my hands. But he's also telling Habakkuk, so are the people of Judah. He, he's not uh, characterizing this as just this one group. He's saying, any of us that fall into these categories are going to have to answer to God for these things. And he's saying one of the things that we're going to have to answer to God for 
is if we misplace our faith in the power of money. Have you ever thought about that? How, how many times you get up and you're striving after just making another dollar or two? You know, there's really only three ways to get wealth. Uh, the world has, uh, has made it way more, but there's really only three ways to get it. Uh, you can earn it, you can steal it, or it can be given to you. And what the Lord teaches us in Scripture over and over again is the way that you're supposed to make your wealth and accumulate your wealth is you're supposed to earn it. Uh, the, the Lord is very clear uh, that those who are uh, to be fed and, uh, and those who are, are to be taken care of are those who will work for it. Uh, now, don't misunderstand me and don't mishear me. There are people that need our help doing that because the Lord tells us over and over again that we're to be a generous people and take care of those in need. But you and I would both be honest and admit that our country has flipped that upside down. That we have taken people and, and we have told them you pretty much deserve everything that anybody will give to you. And that is part of what's the matter with our culture is all of our culture thinks that you don't have to earn it. But the problem is, on the flip side, those of us who do earn it and those of us who strive to do what the Lord tells us to do will catch ourselves being enamored with the love of earning it and accumulating more. Um, you know, I, Laura and I have talked over and over and over again about what an honor it is to be at your church and, and my church. To this, for Holly Springs to be my church church. What an honor that is for us. It's our church. Laura and I love this church. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, uh, how do you feel and in, in what's been your, your feeling over the first few weeks? And I say, every time I walk into this building, God gives me more peace. It's just more peace upon more peace upon more peace. And they say, well, what what are some of the things that, that you love about Holly Springs? And I said, well, that's easy for me to answer. I said, we, we worship, and the worship is genuine, and I love that. I said, the people here are genuine, and I love that. And I always throw in uh, that there are so many young families here in this church, and I love that because, listen, the, the church is not going to carry on if it's only a bunch of 60, 70, and 80-year-old people. I love older people. I am one. I am. You know, I, I, I have to admit that. I am older. But if the church is going to carry on, if, if the work of the Lord is going to be done, we have to pass that down to the generations. And we have the generations here, and I love that. But listen, I can speak to you in all honesty and truth because I have been there. If you are a young family and your goal is to accumulate more money so you can get more stuff, so you can say, I have more stuff than the guy next to me has more stuff, you will be severely disappointed in where you end up when you're my age. Uh, th this is truth. This is gospel truth. And you can talk to most people my age that walk with the Lord and they'll begin to tell you stuff like this. Uh, we've got a lot of junk and I'm ready to get rid of it. Laura and I 
have, have had that conversation. We have junk, a lot of it, and we're ready to start getting rid of it. Uh, because there is no glory in stuff. There, there is no saving grace in stuff. Uh, the only thing that's going to save you, the only thing that's going to walk with you, the only permanence that you're ever going to have in life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. After that, everything doesn't count for anything. So if you love power and you love money, woe unto you is what the Lord says. You better change your thoughts. You better change your processes. The third thing is this, and let's go to the scripture and read again, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. This is so cool. Do you know what the woe is here? The woe here is using people. You see, people aren't bad. Uh, in uh, you know the church holly springs is not using me as a pastor they've hired me they've they've employed me to be their pastor so you're not using me i came willingly and, and i want to work for the greater good of the kingdom of holly springs at your job i hope it's the same way wherever you work i hope that you're not being used i hope people are employing you fairly uh, that they're treating you fairly that you're working uh, for a fair wage. I hope all that is happening in your life. But you and I all know people who don't do this and who use people unfairly. The, gr the greatest example of this is something that none of us like to look at. But, you know, 200 years ago when, when uh, we had slavery in our country, uh, that's the greatest example of when people were being used and it's a, it's a horrible blight on, on our society, uh, a scar, a mark on our society from 200 years ago. You know, what's fascinating about that is that over and over again in the scripture, even this scripture is very uh, uh, clear in how it defines slavery. Uh, and yes, there are Old Testament scriptures where slavery was used and you can find all those things. But here, people don't want to point this out. A lot of uh, people don't want to point this out, but here God pretty much condemns slavery um, because the Babylonians used slaves to build their kingdom. And what's being said here in these verses is that the Babylonians had this amazing kingdom, this incredible buildings and everything, but God said woe to them because they used slaves to build it instead of doing it themselves. And so he said, I'm going to destroy it. And he does. Do you know that only you cannot go see the Babylonian Empire. It's nowhere to be found. You can't go see it. You can read about it. You can see pictures of it in books. You can go to museums where they have uh, uh, displays where the buildings look like, but you can't find it anymore. And it's because God said, woe unto you for using people, and he destroyed it. It's not available for you to see anymore. It's, a, it's, a, um, it's something that our country needs to seriously think about. Because if our country is going to be a country uh, that stands the test of time, we better turn our faces back toward God. And we better fall in love with our Savior again. Because if he don't, and everybody's just using everybody to build America, then America will one day only be a memory in people's minds. The fourth woe is this. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk. 
so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. Let me explain something to you here. This is kind of a twofold thing. You remember how we've talked about uh, trusting the Lord for a vision applies to us personally, but it also applies to this church, and that's kind of where I'm wanting to lead us to where you will trust God for a vision for your future, but Holly Springs will trust God for a vision for uh, the church's future too. Well, right here you're finding the same kind of understanding. Uh, this this woe here I've listed as substance abuse and violence. Um, and it applies personally and it applies corporately. Let me explain that to you. Personally here, you need to understand that, that my belief and my understanding is there's nowhere in the scripture where the Bible says that total abstinence from alcohol is the only way that we can live. Um, I grew up you know, in the 60s, uh, you know, that, that was when I was a young boy, and, and the Baptist church would scream and yell, and the preacher would scream and yell about uh, not drinking, uh, that that's what we don't do. I get that. It's, I, I understand that. Uh, but biblically, abstinence is never uh, explained to us in Scripture. It's never defined that way in Scripture. But it's careful. You need to be careful in how you hear me say that. Because what has happened is nobody really, for the most part, drinks uh, judiciously. Uh, you can, and I'm okay with that. You don't have to hide your wine glass if you see me out in the city uh, coming to the restaurant and you go, oh my gosh, there's the pastor. Everybody start dumping everything, you know. That, you don't have to do that. You don't have to panic. That's, that's all right. That's your call between God. But you do have to search the scriptures. And if you search the scriptures about alcohol, you will find over and over again that it says drink makes people foolish. And, and uh, being drunk is never acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. So it all comes down to how you drink. Now, it's important for you to hear me say this. We'll probably go over this subject much more detail in some other sermon uh, that you'll hear me preach. But it's important for you to hear me say that I do not take alcohol. Uh, Laura and I have not uh, drunk, drinking, drank alcohol uh, ever since we've been married. It's not part of the practice of who we are. Not because it holds us up higher than you, has nothing to do with that. What you need to hear from us is we would never want to cause anyone else to stumble. And because we choose never to ever uh, cause anyone else to stumble, you will not find us drinking alcohol. That's the stand that we've chosen, and that's the stand that we'll take. doesn't make us any better than you if you drink, or it doesn't make us any worse than you if you drink. It's just who we are in the stand that we have chosen. But what's being said here in Scripture is important for you to understand is that you can get yourself in trouble when you drink. And that's what the Lord is saying is, what do you who drink? It's a personal thing. But here's the interesting thing. The Lord uses understandings like this corporately also. Uh, and, and here he's speaking to the nations. Uh, he's, he's, he knows that other nations are looking at Babylon. And they're looking at Babylon saying, I wish we were like Babylon. And, and what he's saying to them is you need to be careful. And he's using uh, alcohol as a, as a comprehension or an understanding of the nation. 
So you need to be careful about being jealous, and he uses the word the wine or the strong drink, to understand you need to be careful about getting drunk over how Babylon is. Because if you're going to get drunk over how Babylon is, you're going to find yourself in the same uh, predicament that Babylon's in, that they're going to be destroyed. So what God is saying here is if you drink the wine like Babylon to these other nations, if you drink the wine like Babylon's drinking and you become like Babylon, then you're going to be destroyed just like Babylon here. So you see that, that, that cool way of Scripture, the way that, that Scripture teaches us sometimes that it can pl- apply to us personally and it can apply to us corporately also. Last thing, the last woe. And it's a woe of placing anything else above God. And he says it in verse 18. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For who, he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. And then he says this in verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? Is it covered with gold and silver? There is no breath in it. Listen, this is the last woe, and this is where we find ourselves now, is that God is saying to Habakkuk, and God is saying uh, to the Babylonians, and, and God is saying to the people of Judah, and he's saying to the people of Holly Springs, if you place anything above God, you've misplaced your faith. You have put your faith in the wrong, the wrong place. And all of us catch ourselves doing that at one time or another. Listen, if, if you've placed your faith in your marriage above God, you've misplaced your faith. If, if, you've, mis- if you've placed your faith in your children above your God, then you've misplaced your faith. And I have seen people... I've seen people that love their children more than they love their God. And that's a horrible mistake. If you love your wife or your husband more than you love your God, you're in, you're in trouble. If, if you place anything before God, if, if the Aggies, the Texas A&M Aggies are the most important thing to you more than your God, you're in trouble. But so are the Baylor Bears or the... Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks, if you've placed your faith there, then you've misplaced your faith. If you've misplaced your faith in your education, if you think, well, you know, I've got a Ph.D., I've got an earned doctorate, I've got two earned doctorates. Uh, If you say something like that, and that means more to you than your faith in your God, you've misplaced your faith. You cannot trust anything more than you trust your God. Anything your children are doing, sports, I, I, you know, you cannot, I'm a sports dad. My sons played baseball, my daughter played volleyball, we went everywhere with them, we did those things. Uh, so, you know, you're talking to a dad who's been there and done that. But I can tell you this, my kids were in church on Sunday morning. And my kids were at church on Wednesday night because my faith was placed in God, not the fact that he could hit the ball over the fence. And if you misplace your faith on what your kids can do, then you're going to be in trouble. All of us will stand before God and hold account for where we placed our faith one day. And if you placed your faith anywhere 
but in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have misplaced your faith. That's what it says in Habakkuk. That's what it says really all throughout the scripture. Is place your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. You want to know how to walk straight with the Lord? Well, trust him. Place your faith in him. Don't place your faith in anything else. Ryan, if, you, if you'll come back up here and, and prepare to just lead us as we begin to move into a time of invitation, I, I want you to listen uh, to Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, if you don't know, uh, was an incredible missionary. In fact, uh, Rick and Susan, this is, uh, he, he helped found uh, China Inland Missionaries, where your daughter is. And um, I, I love this, this quote. Um, one time they were, they were almost broke. I mean, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say almost, they were broke. Uh, they had a quarter, they had 25 cents. That's all the money they had left. And Hudson Taylor turned to his wife and this is what he said. He said, we only have 25 cents to our name, sweetheart. That's all we have left. But we also have every promise that God has ever given us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? If you are here today and you are broken, which all of us are, whether you're broken financially or whether you're broken with your job or whether you're broken in your marriage or whether you're broken with parenting, you may not have anything in your name, but this is what you do have. You have all the promises of God. And if you'll be faithful to the God who loves you, if you'll be faithful to the God who has mercy and grace, if you will serve that God, if you will love that God, then he will heal you. It's the promises of Scripture. It's not the promises of Bobby. It's not the promises of Holly Springs. It's the promises of Scripture. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for what you teach us through Scripture. So grateful for an opportunity to worship you this morning through amazing singing. And now through, Father, just the word being delivered, what you can teach us through the word. Father, again, it would have been my prayer that nobody would have heard a single word I've said, but, Father, they would have heard what you have taught through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, there are people here, there's no doubt in my mind that there are people here this morning that have misplaced their faith. And, Father, we want all of us to have our faith placed correctly in you. So, Father, as we move into this time of invitation, Father, if people need to come to the altar to talk to you about their faith or if they need to come and talk to Greg and Trish about their faith, Father, if they just need to stand where they are and talk to you about their faith, Father, would you give them the courage to do that? Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God that loves us unconditionally. Father, help us to reach out to you now for the grace and mercy that you and only you can give. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.